Bobcat. Nick Harold is a rescue partner, and Joshua Johnson. I'm here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build a foundation. This is the Dynasty Bowl, presented by the Dynasty Football Wheel. Podcast. I ain't tripping either. This is Joshua Johnson. Uh, with me, as always, is Nick. Hey, I'll the Redskins flag there. Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. Uh, I got a couple big wins this last week, so pretty excited. Uh, I actually have a winning record on all the teams, so imagine that. All right. Uh, yeah, but we reckon all your teams, is it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I cannot say that, but I have a couple exceptional teams maybe outweighing the bad teams. I was just noticing this morning, and I wish I had this in DFW 16, but I have I have one team that I have five top 12 PPR receivers on that one team, and I can only play three. So, um, And coincidentally, Bruce Kimbo drafted that team for me. <laughs> so uh, that was just a, a live draft that I couldn't attend because it happened during my work hours. So uh, there was some texting back and forth. Yes, I may be texted a little bit at work. Hush, hush. Um, but um, – so, yeah, Bruce, Bruce did an all right job for me. I got Allen Robinson and Brandon Marshall. That'd be just enough, wouldn't it? But I have, then I have Jarvis Landry. Oh, and DeAndre Hopkins and Antonio Brown. Oh, and I picked up Stefan Diggs, too. So he's he's on the rise. So it's kind of a tough predicament, but that team is 7-2. and two, So uh, I guess I'll, maybe I should have traded for a running back. But uh, speaking of Bruce Kimbrell, he will be stopping by next week as we continue our prospect primer. He's going to give you some IDB guys that we should, IDB? Yeah, yeah, IDP guys that we should uh, be looking at for uh, this upcoming class. We're starting that off today as Mike Traffic, Dirty Mike Traffic, is going to be stopping by in about 13 minutes to get us squared away on some offensive players, talk some other week nine thoughts here, uh, some waiver wire uh, suggestions for you. Got a great rest of the season dynasty dilemma for you uh, as we put Marshawn Lynch versus Chris Johnson versus D'Angelo Williams. Uh, some IDP sit and start. Uh, some dynasty trade analysis. Um, some regular sit and start. And then, of course, ATS times with Mr. Chuck Podiski. Um Did I say times or times? But anyway, I've been running around all day. I haven't just now sat down, so that's kind of where... Where my voice is at, I guess. <laughs> uh, any week nine thoughts there, Nick? Well, we'll start with the 49ers over the Falcons. Devontae Freeman only had 12 rushing yards. Luckily for his owners, he had eight catches for 67 yards and a touchdown through the air. Kind of salvaged his fantasy day. Now, most teams wouldn't be thrilled with their quarterback throwing for 185 yards and two interceptions, but in San Francisco, apparently Blaine Gabbert doing that is better than Colin Kaepernick, it appears. Um 
And Buffalo Carlos Williams looks to be almost in every down week or every uh, week's uh, fantasy start, even if he is playing behind LaShawn McCoy. Now, only nine carries, but he yeah, got 110 yards and two touchdowns versus Miami. Uh, to me, the most impressive win uh, was over the weekend was Carolina, 37 to 29 over Green Bay. That solid defense and Cam Newton continues to do more with less than any other quarterback in the NFL. Although Devin Funches, the rookie there, is uh, beginning to make his presence felt. Three catches for 71 yards and a touchdown, including one bomb. Uh, now, finally, I know, Josh, it hurts you how many NFC East matchups are featured in primetime, but that Dallas still is just great. You know, in the fourth quarter alone, we had an interception, a 67-yard interception return for a touchdown. They backed O'Hale, Mary, Des Bryant to score three game-tying or lead-taking scores in the final three minutes of the fourth quarter, and then Philly winning in overtime with a big 41-yard catch by Jordan Matthews. Uh, that handed Dallas their sixth straight loss to the team's longest losing streak in 26 years. That's hard to believe. I find it hard to believe you would be saying that same thing if Dallas won. I just I just do. I'm just going to say that. Uh, <laughs> um, though. Oakland secondary continues to be our downfall, as evidenced by 17 receptions and 285 yards by Antonio Brown. I mean, I know the guy is a god, but seriously, put three people on him. Oh, my goodness, that was just terrible. I guess they did keep out of the end zone. <laughs> just, just uh, you know, keep him from probably having the best fantasy day ever. But, uh, yeah. Oh boy, that was that was a rough one. And Oakland really had a chance in that one and ugh. those two touchdowns in about fourteen second span really hurt Oakland late in that game. But uh well, it was certainly a fun show to watch. Uh I agree with you on that Carolina Green Bay game and and that game was actually not even as close as the score showed. I mean Carolina had a huge lead. I wanna say it was thirty to seven at one point and they kind of just laid down a little bit in the second half, but yeah, they're still just cruising. I mean, what do you think, Nick? Are they beatable? You look at their schedule, they have, I think their toughest game is they play, uh, they do play Dallas on Thanksgiving, and that Dallas team could be full strength, so that that, that could be a close one, and they're all, they, but besides that, their only really tough game is at Atlanta. Now, I know Atlanta just lost to the 49ers, but they are certainly a different team at home, uh, but yeah, I mean, this team could Go 16-0, don't you think? Um, it's definitely possible. Uh, they also play at the New York Giants. That can be a tough place to play sometimes. But, yeah, their schedule definitely plays into their favor as far as uh, running the table. And obviously, it will be tougher in the playoffs. But uh, when the, <laughs> the road to the Super Bowl goes through Charlotte, they've got a pretty pretty good chance of at least competing for a Super Bowl. I don't know if uh, how they'll match up with a team like Cincinnati or New England, but we could be in for a great showdown this uh this January, February. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um and speaking of the New York Giants, I think they're a little more beatable now considering they just lost uh their big their big defensive tackle and IDP superstar, uh Jonathan Hankins. That's a huge loss for them. And just just another bad week, more injuries. Big Ben again, Dion Lewis, Henry Anderson. Tavius Murray, Teddy Bridgewater, both with concussions. Sounds like those guys are both good. Dion and Henry are both done for the year. So is Hankins. Uh, Henry Anderson has quietly had a very nice rookie season on an awful Indianapolis defense. Uh, you know, Dion Lewis, we're going to be looking for, you know, Brandon Bolden or James White to step up, you know, obviously. 
as a fantasy owner, you can you know like to say good luck with that situation. But uh, uh, yeah, those are huge, huge injuries. Um, and uh, yeah, geez, just another bad week. And now Andrew Luck has the last is it a lacerated spleen? I don't know I'm exactly sure how that happened. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, been a brutal couple couple weeks, maybe I guess three to three weeks going you know maybe month going back to the Jamal Charles injury. But yeah. Well, uh, that's kind of the way it's been. Uh, who should we uh, be claiming on the waiver wire there, Nick? Well, you got to look at a guy like Cole Beasley. His stock is way up after 112 yards and two scores last week. Um, somebody who might have gotten released somewhere over the course of the season, Brandon LaFell, missed a lot of time earlier in the year and then dropped a bunch of passes his first game back. But he uh, had five catches for 102 yards over the weekend. That might He might be a guy worth looking at. Uh, in deeper leagues, maybe Jacksonville's Brian Walters or DeAnthony Thomas in Kansas City uh, could be worth targeting. The running backs here, they're going to be a lot more. A lot tougher to come by. Maybe the JHI owner got impatient and dropped him. Uh, a guy like you mentioned, James White in New England, is probably worth rostering if you feel like playing New England running back roulette. Uh, you know, this is the t- pretty tough segment uh, for us. I think most of the leagues that we're in are pretty deep leagues where there's not many options mm-hmm. available on the waivers, especially this late in the season. Yeah. yeah um, I know a guy that's floating around in some redress, um, uh, and that would be DGP, Doriel Green, Beckham, Tennessee, led. Led the team of targets on Sunday and looks to be kind of getting more comfortable. And I think uh, Mariota has found out, uh, like his dynasty Dan said this summer, he can play that, you know, street yard basketball game with him. So I, I'd like him to see make him make an impact. Um, you know, if Antonio Andros is still out there in some redrafts too, I'm sure he's, he's certainly a guy to grab. But, yeah, it's tough. I mean, what do you think about – do you think if you really had to look at the New England situation, Nick, do you think we, we could be uh, could be bolden over James White just because he has, you know, a little bit more of ex- experience? And, he, you know, he did come in that game and score a touchdown after Deion Lewis left too on Sunday. What do you think? It's just so tough to read. I would think so because, like you said, the experience level. But uh, they say that James White is the better pass receiver, so that would uh, fit more into the mold of what they were using Deion Lewis as. So it's so tough to say. you got to figure LeGarrette wants still the guy to own, but week to week that could change. Uh, yeah, and uh, with what, what about Pittsburgh? That's I mean, that Baron is dry if, if D'Angelo Williams gets hurt. We're looking Dree Archer, Isaiah P. I'm sure both of those guys are available in your league. So, you know, if did, you're a D-Will re- owner. Did they pardon? re-sign Dree Archer? Because I know they had uh, released him a couple weeks ago. Oh, I think they did re-sign him. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's back on their active roster. Um, and, um... Terrence West got a job yesterday. He signed to the Baltimore practice squad. So if you're extremely desperate, you know, he's still young. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like I said, like you said, it's a pretty tough thing. Uh, I picked up the Raiders defense this week, hoping Bridgewater wouldn't play, but uh, now it sounds like he is. So we'll see We'll see how that situation uh, works out. I'm trying to think. Uh Jesse James had some 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 uh, targets for the Pittsburgh Steelers this past week. I mean, maybe that was because they were playing the awful Raiders uh, defense. We'll get to more of that later. Uh, not not a bad spot there. Um, uh, Grant Selleck caught two touchdown passes. It was only two catches, but he caught both touchdown passes from uh, Blaine Gabbard. You know, if that's 
that's a situation where he was the Selleck was the backup to uh, Vernon, and maybe Gabbert's a little more comfortable throwing to him. He found him, found him in the red zone. He was wide, blanking open on that very first play. Uh, but uh, yeah, not not a bad not a bad name out there as well. So uh, just uh, look at look at that, and you, there's certainly some guys. I can't think of any guys on the defensive side of the ball that I'm that I'm trying to put in for, but. Uh, that Baron's running pretty dry, and you know if you're in a league where you're not uh, tending and you have a couple good defensive tackles, maybe knock on the door of that Jonathan Hankins owner and see see what can be had. See if there's a young potential receiver you can pluck from him or something like that. So, yeah, uh, Mike's going to be stopping by in just a couple minutes. We we had him drop by to just kind of get you uh, primed for some prospects. Um, He's going to be talking about Corey Coleman and Tyler Boyd. It's a couple wide receivers there. Uh, Coleman from Baylor, Tyler Boyd from the University of Pitt, or Pitt University, the Pitt Panthers. I don't know if it's university or us. Uh, Derek Henry, the massive, massive running back from Alabama, uh, like 6'3", 245. I mean, that's his college stats, but we'll see. We'll see what he looks like at the combine, but he's a uh, quite the bruiser. Uh, Devontae, another way to spell Devontae. I'm sure Chuck will be excited about that. <laughs> Devontae Booker, the running back out of Utah. Uh, Christian Hackenberg, quarterback, Penn State University. And Connor Cook, quarterback, Michigan State. So those are the guys I'm going to be touching on here with Mike here in a few minutes. Uh, not sure who Bruce is going to have for us next week, but he'll have kind of the same type of list, you know, maybe just six defensive players that we can uh, – we can look at and, and uh, consider. So uh, uh, just keep that in mind. Like I said, Bruce will be dropping by next week for that. Um, Dynasty Dilemma coming up after Mike's prospect report. we got Marshawn versus Chris Johnson uh, versus D'Angelo Williams, another three-headed monster. Uh, IDP sitter start, Dynasty trade analysis, and uh, just uh, some regular sitter start. And we'll also have... Excuse me, Mr. Chuck, but I see stopping, stopping by to do some ATS picks. Uh, speaking of that, I have not done my picks this week in my Yahoo pick em. Uh How did you do in pick em last week there, Nick? Uh, I think I won eight games last week, so pretty darn good. for uh, <laughs> As bad as my season's been, this was one of the better weeks. Yeah, that's, uh, it's hard. You're going to have those really bad stinker weeks. <laughs> I think... I don't know what I was this week, but I'm pretty sure it was five and nine the week before. And, uh, yeah, that's just, uh, just how it goes. Um, uh, I think I am still leading my pick em league though. So that's, that was kind of, kind of a nice surprise. I'm not exactly sure how that's happening. Maybe, maybe people are just aren't paying enough attention there. Uh, so did you get a chance to watch much of your Redskins game there Sunday, Nick? Did you think, did you think they played a decent second half anyway, right? Yeah, and, you know, I guess they held New England to less points than the Patriots have scored all year long for whatever that's worth. But, you know, when you're down 14 nothing right off the bat, it's kind of tough to win ball games that way. Yeah, that game was 14 nothing right away. Um, but now here he is, Mr. Dirty Mike. Black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow. I put it down from the Yellow paint. I hear the scared of it, but the pros ain't. So never hit the club, look at the moon face. Hit the pedal 
returning to the show. Oop, I didn't click him back over. Returning to the show, Mr. Mike Krafik. Uh I did play your intro music. I forgot to click you over, but I hope I hope you heard it there, Mike. No, I did catch that, Josh. Thank you. Oh, and uh, I'll Mike. apologize up front for for my team beating your Raiders. That was a great game. Oh. Um, high scoring game <laughs> came came right down to the wire. Uh, yeah, you you compl- you know when you complain to me about your secondary problems in Pittsburgh, I, I really just kind of doesn't really phase me. I just <laughs> because uh, Ross Cockrell would be the best defensive player on our team probably if that was the case if we had somebody somebody like that. So uh, uh, it's good we could let let Antonio Brown shine once again before uh, before Big Ben got hurt again. I guess sorry, but uh, uh, Mike is. I don't, I don't know how many times you've been on the podcast. You've been on the podcast to where you have your own music clip loaded in there, so I, I guess that means you've been on enough times. And today we asked you to stop by to uh, do a little prospect watch for us. I know you're working working on an article, um, and then I also had a mock draft that came out last Friday. I hope you all enjoy that and, re- and read that. I have another one ready, hopefully, for the end of the uh, season when the when – the, Round one is actually set in stone there. So, uh, any questions about the, the the mock that I did there, Mike? And then get it on to your guy. Well, you know what? I, I really like that. I like some of the some of the picks that you had. A lot of them in there made sense. Um, the one guy I was looking for that I did not see. We're going to talk about a little later. Um, the Baylor Bears wide receiver Corey Coleman. I think the production he's putting up this year forces him into the first round. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I worry about his size a little bit and the fact that, uh, well, I mean, nobody plays defense in that conference either, so maybe that could be the case as the scores look a lot more like basketball scores than football scores. But uh We'll get to that. What do you got for us? Why don't you just start with your quarterbacks there? Why don't you do the quarterbacks and then we'll ask you some questions and go on to the next position. Okay, sure. So two quarterbacks that um, I think one of them everybody's talking about now is Connor Cook from Michigan State. Um, I think if you ask most people, they'll say he's the, the top quarterback prospect uh, of this upcoming draft class, um, if not number one, probably number two. Uh, in my opinion, he's one of the safer quarterback prospects. Maybe he doesn't have the ceiling or the upside that some of them do, but uh, I really think that he's got the the size, the prototypical quarterback size, and, and the skill set, the arm strength um, to, to really come in and uh, make an impact pretty early on. So I, I'm expecting him to be the number one quarterback taken in the upcoming draft class. And it looks like you agree with me because I think you had him going to the Houston Texans, correct? Uh, yeah, I actually had uh, Paxton Lynch going before him, but maybe his start oh, and Jared out since they've lost. Yeah. Yeah, and Jared Goff to the Bears. Yeah, I figured Cleveland would maybe uh, make a splash and go with the go with the weird pick there. They've been known to take some chances on quarterbacks, you know, in the past. Maybe some guys on it's their It's working out pretty roster. well but, uh, for them. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I like Cook a lot. Uh, Michigan State is actually my Big Ten team that I cheer for. Um, and and but that's not really coming into play. But I have watched a lot of him, and and I agree with you the fact that he's maybe not. He's not going to be the guy that's going to go out there and throw for three, four hundred yards every week. But I think he's a guy that's going to be a nice, a nice game manager and just, uh, but not to the extent of like an Alex Smith. I think you're looking at you know, two hundred yard, couple touchdown games, and he's not going to, he's not going to be the guy that also is going to go out there and throw three or four picks and just totally destroy your, uh, you know, the the field position game. I just think he's a great decision maker and oh. I mean, what quarterback wouldn't want to go to Houston right now with DeAndre Hopkins just being the vacuum that he is? So, uh, uh, Nick, any, any questions? Or actually, oh, one, no, no, that's, that's okay. <laughs> the the, the one other thing that I guess I'll, Sure, go ahead. I was just going to say, the one other thing that I was going to say about Cook, when I was thinking about like a comp or where I see him sort of fitting in in the NFL, at least early on, um, I was thinking like Teddy Bridgewater, not that they're similar or the Mm. same kind of player, but the similar type production where you had mentioned the game manager type where he's not going to kill you. He's not going to make a ton of really bad decisions, but he's also not going to put up these video game numbers that we're seeing Mm. uh, from some some of these other quarterbacks. Yeah, that's exactly the comparison I had written down too. Just like, just a nice, calm presence, and certainly, certainly very Teddy B like. So, what do you got for us on Mr. Hackenberg? Well, if anybody's stock has fallen significantly, is Christian Hackenberg's. Um, after his freshman year, he he put up these amazing stats, and everybody assumed, even coming into this season after he had a down sophomore year, that he was the number one quarterback prospect. But he just has not looked good. Um, it's partly the, the supporting cast that he has around him. Uh, if you watch some of the tape on him, he's constantly getting pressure. He's constantly getting hit. Uh, his offensive line isn't giving him time. And, and I think the main thing for me, what I see, if you look at his freshman tape versus the last couple of years, it, it's just not a good fit, in my opinion. He doesn't seem like a good fit for the system that Penn State's running. Uh, and also one thing that I think has hurt him is he lost Allen Robinson. So he was throwing the ball to an elite wide receiver as a freshman, um, and, and then he loses that that weapon. So I think that kind of comes into play as well, why his production has taken a hit. But I still like him. I, I think if he lands in, a, in the right situation, he can succeed in the NFL at the next level. He has all of the tools, the size, the arm strength. Uh, he's shown that he's done it, can, he's done it before. Um, he's got that high pedigree, um, highly, highly touted and highly recruited out of high school. He's young. He's only 20 years old right now. So I, I think if he can get into a team where he can maybe play behind an established starter and, and learn the, the NFL game for a year or two, I think he could be a, a great NFL quarterback. Okay. Yeah, that's very good points. You feel like he's certainly fallen out of the first-round consideration, though? I do. I think unless – some team sees something that they, they want to take a shot on them at the end of the first. I, I just, I'd be really surprised to see a team take a first round pick with what he's put on tape this year. Yeah. I, I and I agree there too. I mean, you know, some of the things I wrote down about him is I feel like his, his deep ball is kind of, is kind of underwhelming and, and that's not really, 
he's not really refined when he gets under pressure and the footwork is is a, is an issue and lots of low and high balls but you know with with that just a you know a a bad just frankly a bad offensive line it hopefully if he gets in a better situation that could be uh all fixed and like you said maybe end of first round you know maybe where he's going to like you know like a Denver or uh, or somebody like that where he can sit, you know, for at least a year and wait, or a team that's going to hopefully not have a, a terrible offensive line. So maybe maybe that's not a bad idea. And then maybe – or maybe Cleveland can wait around and take a pick quarterback in the second round. At least they have an offensive line, even though the rest of that team isn't very good. Uh, Nick, you got any questions there on the quarterbacks? Well, you mentioned with Hack- Hackenberg's lack of uh, surrounding talent around in there at Penn State. Uh, but you'd like to see your quarterback, if they're truly an elite quarterback, make the people around them better. Have we seen any of that from Hackenberg, or has it just been the players around him are that bad that there's just no help in him? I really think that the, the issue, the main issue for him is his offensive line. So last year he was sacked 44 times. That was the most in the FBS. And this year already – he has 32 sacks. I, if you go back and you watch on draft breakdown the, the Temple game, he was sacked 10 times alone in that game. So he's just getting beat up. And I think what comes with that is you start seeing ghosts in the pocket. You start rushing your throws and, and making poor decisions. Um, so I, I do. I see him more as a developmental prospect. I don't see him as that. You know, coming into the year, I, I would have said he was the number one quarterback. Um, I actually wrote, um, I, I wrote up an article, and I, I can't remember who exactly it was, but I was saying that I want to say it was Houston that they were going to uh, struggle this year, have a high draft pick, and take Hackenberg and have Bill O'Brien and Hackenberg um, reunited to, at the pro level. I think it was the uh, Jalen Strong article. Um, but but I would be like I said I'd be shocked if he goes in the first round especially in the top half. Okay. Any other questions there, Nick? Uh, no, I think we hit the quarterbacks. Sure. Well, and I guess if one thing can be salvaged from him getting sacked seventy plus times is the fact that he's he's still upright. He's not gotten hurt. So uh, we we know he's durable uh, for that for that uh, matter. I guess. So. Uh, what do you got for us on the running backs there, Mike? All right. So the first running back, there's going to be some uh, hesitation, I think, when, when people consider drafting this player uh, just because of the former running backs that have come out of this school. But Derrick Henry out of Alabama, um, he's 6'3", 242. So he's a big physical back. Um, but I, I, I think that – when looking at him and trying to assess him, I got to throw out anything that I have in my mind with Trent Richardson or the struggles that Eddie Lacy is having, uh, the slow start that Mark Ingram had to his career, and, and just look at Derrick Henry. And I think his skill set's going to transition very well to the next level uh, just because of his size. Um, he has quick enough feet to get through the hole and get onto the second level. Uh, and he rarely goes down on first contact. So I, I think that I, I wouldn't be – I don't know that he's necessarily a first-round pick, uh, but see him going more in the second round, but could see him making an impact right away, 21 years old. Um, I think he's got high touchdown upside. He'll be used at the goal line. He's very good in the passing game. He has soft hands. Uh, so I think he could translate to a three-down back at the next level. 
Yeah, he's a wicked blocker too. I mean, he's he's got that pass pro thing down. I I, I like Henry a lot. I I I feel like there's no other position in sports where you can be downgraded for being too tall than running back. I mean, maybe maybe a goaltender in hockey, but uh, I just I just don't see that with him. He's got he's six three two forty five. I mean, I think optimal weight for that somebody that height should be about two to two twenty, but he's got. He's got 20 extra pounds of muscle. I mean, the kid is built. I, I'd have no problem taking him in the first round, and I I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about him at the top of rookie drafts next May. So uh, what do you got for us on Devontae Booker? Okay, Devontae Booker Sorry. out of Utah. Um, I, I see Booker as an underrated prospect. Um, really like uh, what I see on tape from him. Um let me get back to this really quickly. Sorry about that. Um, so when I was watching him on tape, just his running style and, and not saying that he's going to have the success that this player has had at the next level, um, but just the way he runs reminds me a lot of Arian Foster. Just the way that he has this smooth running style, um, can get to the hole quickly and accelerates um, right away. He has the ability to break tackles. Um, and, and yards after contact, he, he really – so since the beginning of last season, he leads the FBS in yards after contact. Um, it, at this point, when I when I got this stat, it was almost 1,200 yards of rushing yards after contact. Um, I, I think his size at 5'11", 212, so he's a good fit, like a prototypical running back for the for the NFL, and his pass catching ability and run blocking or pass blocking will keep him on the field for all three downs. Yeah, I, I'll admit when you sent me this name, I'm just like, who is this guy? I don't I don't even know. I mean, and obviously I don't watch enough Pac-12 football. Maybe Nick knew, knew about him more, but uh, I I was really impressed with the film I've saw, seen on him so far. Uh, very, very kind of slippery but tough runner, strong in the hips. And like you said, when he gets contact, he doesn't he doesn't stop moving when there's contact. You see those legs kind of charge, and he, he breaks through tackles. Uh, um, I feel like he's maybe a little bit more of an off-tackle than a between-the-tackles type of guy, but uh, maybe that, you know, maybe that limits him, but maybe he just needs to be, you know, in the right situation there too. Uh, Nick, any questions there about the running backs? Yeah, uh, when it came to Devontae Booker, he's coming out of the Pac-12, which is not really a strong running back conference. Uh, they haven't really had any highly drafted running backs since uh, Jonathan Stewart, Marshawn Lynch, and Reggie Bush came out. Uh, more recently, they've had guys like Bishop Sankey and Kadeem Carey have less than stellar beginnings to their careers. Do you think that perceived stigma it could uh, hurt uh, Booker come draft day? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that, that might end up hurting him uh, when it comes time for the draft. One is is his age. Right now he's 23 years old. He'll be 24 by the time he ends up on an NFL roster. Uh, so it's a, a couple of years older than, than you're going to want to draft a first-year player. Um, and, and then also the, the level of competition that he's faced. This is his second year at, at Utah. Prior to that, he was playing at a small school, American River College, a junior college, uh, where he dominated and, and put up uh, amazing statistics. But – at this level, he's still shown the ability, even though it is the Pac-12, 
um, that he can be a three-down back. Um, so I, I think as long as he I, – I see him going more in the third round. I, I'd be – I wouldn't be shocked if he ended up in the second, but I think he's more of a third-round pick. Okay. What do you got for us on the wide receivers there? Okay. Two guys in, in the one, a little bit of homerism coming out of me. Um, it's a pit wide receiver, Tyler Boyd. Um, this kid, he's 20 years old. Um, he ended up whenever as a freshman, what was it, his freshman year, he broke Larry Fitzgerald's. Um, records for receptions and receiving yards. Uh, so that's some pretty elite company to be in. Uh, his freshman year, he had 85 receptions for 1,174 yards as a true freshman. Um, so he was putting up those kind of stats in a, in an offense that isn't Baylor or uh, one of these teams that are scoring 70 points a week. Pitt is a pro-style offense that's a, really a run-first offense. So the fact that he was able to do that with that team is impressive. Um, he, he's really the, the one weapon that Pitt has on their offense, so defenses can key on him, and he's still able to, to be productive. He is 6'2", um, right around 185 is what they have him listed at. I think he's a little bigger than that. So that's that's one concern I have for him is that I'd like to see him put on a little more weight and bulk up a little bit. But, again, at age 20, I, I think that um, between now and draft time, he'll bulk up some. Uh, just watching, you know, him, him with the ball in his hands, he, he's a great runner after the catch, so he can make big plays once you get the ball in his hands. Um, and the one sort of red flag, I think he missed a game this year, uh, a suspension for a DUI in the offseason. Um, I, I think – you know, dynasty owners, they get nervous when they see that kind of stuff. They think of Josh Gordon or, you know, Justin Blackman. But I, I think I'm willing to chalk that one up, too. He's a 20-year-old college student that made a poor decision. I don't think that necessarily means that, that that'll continue. So uh, I, I think he's he's in my top five for receivers that will be coming out this year. We've got some good receiver prospects, but I really like him, and I think he has a shot at being in the first round. Okay. Uh, excellent uh, hands on him too. There's, I think it was. Did they play Temple this year too? Um, maybe I don't know. He made a play in one of the videos that I watched, where he's running along the sidelines and he has one arm on, you know, kind of like tied up with the defender, and he makes the catch with one hand and still has the presence of mind to put both feet down and bounce. It's just, just phenomenal. So I really, I really like his hands and, and that. So, uh, uh, but, uh, what, what do you got for us on the, uh, the next guy? Lister? I'll, I don't want to steal your thunder by saying the name. Go ahead. Ah, uh, sure. Sure. Corey Coleman out of Baylor. Um, now Baylor is one of those offenses that are putting up 70 points a game. Um, you know, that system is really known for their offensive production. And like you said, they don't really play defense in that conference. Um, so he is, you know, his stats have to be taken a bit with a grain of salt. Uh, but if you just watch some of the tape on this kid, his route running and just his hands, I, I think, is really going to help him translate to the next level. And as far as the size, you know, we've seen some receivers. So he's listed at 5'11", 190. Right now, um guy that comes to mind for me is Antonio Brown. His size hasn't really been an issue for him at the next level. 
I think Coleman will have to continue to develop his craft and his route running um, if he wants to have success at the next level. But but I do see the skills there uh, for him to be able to do that and transition. And I'm looking forward to seeing how he does the rest of this season. Baylor lost their starting quarterback. He's out for the rest of the year with a neck injury. Um, they have a true freshman starting at quarterback, and, and they've had one game together. Uh, Coleman just didn't miss a beat, put up over 100 yards, scored two touchdowns. Um, so I think, like I said, it, all things equal. I, I don't know that I would say he's a definite first-round pick, but I think with the production that he's going to put up and, and the stats that he's going to accumulate in that offense, I think some team is going to take a shot on him and, and uh, see him as a number one wide receiver. Yeah, let's hope uh... – our, your Steelers, my Raiders aren't uh, recruiting the defensive players from that that conference, please. Uh, but uh, um, as far as Coleman, do you know, does he do any returning? I didn't see that on any of the films that I watched from him. I feel like that might be a, a nice ease into the NFL for him for one year because I kind of view him as like maybe like a a Percy Harvin kind of Deshaun Jackson type of player where they they can have you know they can be kind of that that slot guy that uh that thir- you know that third down maybe just you know motion man or or somebody that can make a difference in the return game does he do any returning you know at his first two years at Baylor um he returned some kicks so as a freshman he had 17 kickoff returns averaged 28 yards a return and did take one for a touchdown uh, he did less of it his sophomore year, only returned five of them. And it looks like this year he's only done that once. So he has the, the experience in doing it. So I, I, I like that, that he could possibly make an impact that way uh, on special teams getting started, like a lot of other players do, especially, you know, the aforementioned Antonio Brown. He's still returning punts, and, and I hold my breath every yeah. time he fields a punt. <laughs> uh, I would do. Uh, but anyway, uh, is he and is Coleman one of those guys that's going to be uh, like the the four three or sub four four guy at the at the combine? You think in the forty? I, I I think he could be, and I think that's going to be the key to to where he gets drafted if he's able to have a good combine and have good workout numbers. Then I think that'll that'll lock it up that he'll go in the first round. But I mean, even if you look back a couple of years ago, Kendall Wright. Same school, same kind of style of player where he's running those quick slants over the middle, mm-hmm. getting a lot of yards after the catch. Um, he ended up being a first-round pick despite running a slower 40 time. Um, now, I, I don't know if that really worked out for Tennessee per se, so that might not be the best comp. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I think his draft stock is going to be heavily weighted with, with how he does at the combine. Sure. Well, yeah, not to take anything away from Kenda, right? He's been an excellent, dependable player for them, even considering that team's been so bad. Uh, but, uh, right. yeah, I see that. And I feel like, you know, Coleman would obviously be best suited where he's the, the complimentary receiver. You know, he's he's Terrence Williams to, to, to Des Bryant, that type of thing. Or he's, you know, maybe he's the the number two with Mike Evans in Tampa. I think that would be a, a decent situation for him to prosper and maybe – another young team where he could grow with the quarterback, that type of thing. Nick, any questions there about the wide receivers? 
Uh, yeah, going back to Tyler Boyd for a minute, uh, scouts seem to be all over the board on him. Uh, you know, I'll give you a couple examples I've seen on NFL.com articles say he's the number one receiver in the draft, whereas Roto World says he's not even a first-rounder. So do you know simply that some scouts really like his production there at Pitt, while others are afraid of his less-than-elite measurables? He's kind of skinny, like you mentioned, and maybe not the fastest. Or do you know, is there, is there something else there that's scaring some scouts maybe? Well, I, I think that his production isn't, He's not putting up the same production as a Josh Doxson at uh, TCU uh, or even the guy was Will Fuller from Notre Dame. Those guys are putting up bigger stats because they're in a better offense. Uh, they have better surrounding players around them. Um, Pitt hasn't had a quarterback since Dan Marino, so he's really <laughs> doing this all on his own. Um, so I, I think that's going to be a knock against him uh, whenever – teams or scouts are looking at him and, and evaluating his game tape. I, I think there are some things that he can improve on, but I think the foundations there with the route running, the hands, uh, and he's got good size and speed. He just needs to fill out a little more. And again, at 20 years old, I think we can expect him to be able to add 15 to 20 pounds, um, you know, relatively easy over the next couple of years. Okay. And my my constant knock on uh, Allen Robinson was that he's been too skinny, and he's he's been healthy and doing all right this year. So I guess it really sure has. Top twelve wide receiver right now. So yeah. Um, well, that was great stuff, Mike. Uh, th- we appreciate you being able to to get everybody up to date on that, and uh, we also asked you to stop by to help us out with a little uh, three headed monster uh, dynasty dilemma. So let's. Uh, Let's get a little pumped up for some, just a couple, couple seconds of music, and then get into it. So I'll let you go first, there, Mike. All right, so it's Marshawn Lynch versus Chris Johnson versus D'Angelo Williams. So what do you got for us on Mr. Marshawn Lynch, Mike? Okay. So whenever we talked about this last week, I think I got first pick, um, and, I, and I took Marshawn Lynch uh, just because of the production over the last couple of years. Looking at the rest of the season, who am I going to bet on being the most productive player of these three? And I was still w- willing to bet on Marshawn Lynch. Uh, like I said, he's done it before. Seattle is a good offensive team. They're a run-first team. I think the red zone opportunities are going to be there for Lynch. He's involved in the passing game. Um, So I I think that he can get back to coming off a bye, that number one running back production that we've been so used to. I think he's been hampered uh, over the first half of the season by some nagging injuries, you know, always dealing with the back injury. He's had a a ton of work over – the last few years in Seattle, but I think if he's able to get healthy and get back into that rhythm of between 15 to 20 carries a game, I think we'll start to see the old Marshawn Lynch again. Um, but again, in fairness, this was prior to D'Angelo Williams crushing <laughs> Oakland with 170 rushing yards. Um, but, but I mean, if I'm looking at these three players, who's going to carry me to a championship, I'm still betting on Marshawn Lynch. Okay. Well, let's just 
remember, you guys don't get to play Oakland the rest of the year. You got got uh, <laughs> got some tough games versus Cincy and uh, Denver in weeks fourteen and fifteen. So those are those are games I would, uh, and those are that's fantasy playoff time. So those games I'd certainly be worried about if he's actually healthy at that point in time. But uh, yeah, like Mike said, I think uh, if we could have all picked our player after Sunday's game, there might have been some D will more D will love there. I, I told uh, Bill Servey that we were doing this, and he said D will buy a a mile, which surprised surprised me greatly. And then Bill, as he has done before, really put me in my place and told me to to get over his injury-riddled past and uh, really look at the fact that he's just going to be the feature back in in the Steel City, and he is really the only back left there. Um, Ironically, not even... Not even Mike, our resident uh, Steeler homer, chose D. Will. In fact, he was basically left to rot with Nick as his defense attorney. You know, I don't know, Mike. Are we just so dense that we give the dynasty dilemma champion of all time Nick the easiest player to defend? Oh, that's how it falls for him some days, I guess. So I'm sure Nick will say that D. Will had a very Le'Veon-esque day on Sunday, but uh, like we said, now, you know, it sure is the cement floor in St. Louis. They don't get to play the Raiders the rest of the year. So, uh, meanwhile, Marshawn uh, is uh, is you know was Mike's choice, and uh, isn't he retired already? Said every Thomas Rawls owner ever uh, or everywhere. Um, uh, D. Will is also not practicing today with to rest a sore foot. So that's a situation to monitor. Uh, now onto the corner that I so eloquently backed myself into, Chris Johnson. And we all we all thought he was dead. How, however, I think we even talked about that on the podcast. He signed on with Arizona like on a Wednesday, and we were thinking, oh, we'll see what he can do. But didn't have a lot of high hopes. But uh, however, the double tight end set in zona has created enough lanes for Johnson to exploit. Both D'Angelo and Marshawn are stuck on subpar squads that will have to fight to make the playoffs. Therefore, their teams will use their entire arsenal of talent to win. Uh, sure, Johnson, uh, Johnson's cards have Andre Ellington and David Johnson, but Johnson is the main backbone to this offense. He is rejuvenated with that extra tight end sealing off the edge. With both sides of the line having extra blocker, Johnson has his choice of which edge to slice up. Uh, D'Angelo will have an opportunity to catch more passes. Um, I do grant you that, but if but if he's healthy in two weeks, I'll be totally surprised. Uh, I think it's been at least three years to where he's been healthy and productive for three straight weeks. Uh, Marshawn is also you know, less of a beast than he has been in years past. Um, Johnson is flanked by many other talented playmakers other than Johnson and Ellington, like Larry Fitzgerald, John Smokey Brown, and, of course, Mr. Michael Floyd. Uh, this we all know, but I think that is actually his, to his advantage and not his detriment. He has the best talent around him, and that will open things up. Seattle's offense is kind of like uh, a salad bar at a steakhouse, present but uh, definitely nowhere near its strength. And uh, Pittsburgh, without Big Ben, will make us think, sure, d is going to get 30 carries per game, right? Uh, Tor Claude just hearing this as a possibility. And, yes, he does have Antonio Brown to keep the box from filling up, but I – and I will never say anything bad about Mr. AB84 because he is certainly the truth, but he is the number one option in the clutch in this offense, not D-Will. So just remember that. Johnson finally found himself a winning squad, and you can rest assured that he will not take that for granted. The attitude of Bruce Arians and the respectful locker room he runs has a vast trickle-down effect on his players, and that has bred extreme 
consistent play out of Johnson, and that should continue. You may be fooled by the big by big game beast mode and think just because he's been to the playoffs the last couple of years that he's gonna he's gonna be the man. Uh, and you also might require another flashy stat line like Debo put up last last week just to make the playoffs. But give me the steady thumper named CJ. Chris, what do you got? Or Nick, what do you got for us on Mr. D'Angelo Williams? Well, the 2016 election season is right around the corner, so Americans are about to be flooded with negative campaign ads from races ranging from city council to the highest office in the land. So with all that negativity forthcoming, I will abstain from tearing down Marshawn Lynch and Chris Johnson and just focus solely on the monster second half of the season D'Angelo Williams has in store. First off, Williams is fresh. He's only had to start three games this year and only played in six games last year, and he never hit double-digit carries in any of the games he didn't start this year. But in those three starts, he's been over 20 carries in all three of them, two games over 120 yards rushing, and the one game where he didn't get 120 yards rushing, he still had 77 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, D'Angelo Williams is averaging 5.3 yards per carry, and with good reason. Not only is he running well, but with playmakers like Antonio Brown and uh, now Martavis Bryant on the outside, teams cannot simply load the box versus Pittsburgh, even when Big Ben is sidelined. Now, Ben, I think, will be back sometime after the bye, but in the meantime, look for Pittsburgh to run the ball even more to take pressure off of the young Landry Jones. Now, let's say that anyone would love to have any of these three running backs heading down the stretch this season, but based on what Williams has done so far this year and his complete lack of competition for touches, uh, one other running back last week, Tottenham, had one carry. You know, I, I just I would have to take him ahead of Marshawn and Chris Johnson. And, uh, you know, he, for all the injury bugs that uh, he's perceived to have had, yeah, he only played in six games last year, but he played in 15 games in 2013 and all 16 games in 2011 and 2012. So uh, I think we can have, he's got a reasonable shot to stay healthy this year. Okay, Mike, any rebuttals there? Yeah, I will just say, first off, that I was completely and totally wrong on D'Angelo Williams from the from the minute <laughs> Pittsburgh signed him. I thought that it was it was a waste of a of a player. I thought he was just gonna be a backup to Le'Veon Bell, maybe get a couple carries a game to spell Le'Veon and I thought his uh his days of being an elite running back or a fantasy contributor were long behind him. Um, so from the gate, I've been wrong on that, and, and I'm happy to be wrong about it because he's really carrying the uh, Steelers offense right now, especially if we're missing Big Ben. Um, but again, Marshawn Lynch, beast mode. I, I think he's going to have a big second half. I, I think that the Seattle struggles early in the year, similarly to how they struggled Last year, I think they're primed for a big second-half run. I think Marshawn Lynch will be a big piece of that, a big part of that. Um, and, and I think just his touchdown upside alone makes him the player that I really want uh, out of these three. Okay, and, and I think maybe Marshawn resting a couple of weeks might actually help him out there too. So, um, Yeah, that's that's a good dilemma. I wish I had. Any, I don't have, I don't own any one of these running backs at any team, and I certainly could think of a couple teams where I could use at least one of these guys. So, pretty even dilemma. Um, if you want, I think the votes are actually two apiece right now. Go to DynastyFootballWarehouse.com and uh, vote on that dilemma. And uh, with that, we'll let you uh, let you go there, Mr. Graphic. Now that I can see your last sure, name, right? 
Yes, you did. Yeah, if I could say oh. one more thing, just going back to the prospects, um, and, and just overall as a class, I, I think we got spoiled with the 2014 class of players that came out. Uh, people, other other than a, a couple, I think this 2015 class has been fairly disappointing other than Cooper and, and Gurley. Um, I'm, I'm expecting a bit more of the same with the 2016 class. I just I, I don't think it's as deep with high-end talent that, that we saw in 2014. So it's just something I'm considering when I'm looking at the number of 2016 first-round picks that I'm trying to acquire over the rest of this season. Um, I, I, I might try to sell off some if I'm able to because I, I just don't think that we have the, the amount of talent that maybe a lot of people are expecting. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with you, too, with you there, too. I actually like the defensive side of the ball a lot more, so that's certainly something to consider. IDP-wise, you know, if you can maybe trade down in the draft because you think you can fill out or solidify a position, maybe that's maybe that's good, and you can maybe hopefully get a quality offensive player in return. But, yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. I, I mean, obviously we we'll, might be feeling different here come uh, April and May, but, uh, yeah, right now it's, I'm not overly excited about the offensive players. So awesome. Thank you, Mike. Great stuff as always. And I'm sure we'll have you back soon. Enough. Okay. Sounds good, Josh. Thank you guys for having me on. All right. Take care, bud. Okay, Nick, let's get to some IDP sit or start. Uh, what do you think about Leonard Williams versus the Bills tomorrow night or Al- Oliver Vernon versus uh, at Philadelphia? Excuse me. Well, to me, this one's all about projected game flow. Philadelphia either gets yards in big chunks or goes three and out. Both of those limit the number of plays, so in turn, uh, the IDP scoring opportunities. But I think Buffalo is going to run McCoy and run McCoy again, then run Carlos Williams, and then run Tyrod Taylor. So, you know, if uh, Leonard Williams can shed a few blocks, tackle opportunities could definitely be there. So I think I would take Leonard Williams. Uh, I'm going to lean Vernon here. I you make a lot of sense there about uh, the game flow there of Philadelphia, but with Cameron Wake out, uh, they've been moving Vernon around a little bit, and I, he had kind of a slow start to the year, and I think they're going to need production from him, and they're going to try to find ways to keep him successful. And what you know, one thing that always gets lost that Philadelphia offense is they're they're certainly more run heavy than people want to give them credit for. I'm not sure their exact stats this year, but they they do try to run the ball quite a bit. And even though uh even though they have some of those quick strike plays, they I think that could actually play into play to Vernon there a little bit. Uh Anthony Barr or at Oakland or Khalil Mack versus the Vikings. Nick, what do you think? Uh, this one all hinges to me on uh, whether or not the rookie middle linebacker Eric Kendricks returns for Minnesota. You know, if he returns, I think I would lean with Khalil Mack. Uh, Mack has four sacks from the season. That's as many as he had all of his rookie year, whereas uh, Anthony Barr's only got one and a half sacks. But if Kendricks misses another game, I think Barr's tackle numbers could get enough of a boost to uh, give him the edge IDP-wise over Mack. Yeah, I think a lot of people are expecting a lot more out of well, both Mac and Barr this year. And Barr, you know, Barr just he's had some games, but he hasn't been consistent enough. Um, so I think I'd actually go Mac, just considering the uh, the offense that uh, excuse me, the offensive line that Minnesota has. And I know there's going to be obviously a big a big boost to really 
really protect Teddy considering he might be playing coming off a concussion, but uh, I feel like uh, Mac could certainly uh, certainly get a boost there, even though he didn't do didn't do much last week at all. But uh, uh, yeah, so I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Mac there. I think I think he maybe gets a couple sacks to put it put it over the top there. So I'm gonna go Mac. Um, Shaq Barrett versus the Chiefs or Justin Houston at Denver. A couple guys, again, in the same game here. What do you think, Nick? Well, Barrett's having a nice season, but to me this is one of those don't-set-your-studs type of matchups. You know, people act like Justin Houston has been terrible this year, but he's still on pace for double-digit sacks. Last year he was playing at a level very few players ever achieved. He's still pretty darn good, especially considering that he's going up against a pretty immobile quarterback in Peyton Manning this week. I would take Justin Houston. Yeah, Barrett's kind of one of those uh, 50% snap count percentage guys. Um, And it it seems weird that we're putting him against a guy like Justin Houston. Uh, But, uh, you know, he can maybe make a couple big plays to make this all worth it. But I think uh, that's a big maybe. So I'm going to stick there with the Justin Houston, too, because I feel like, like you said, the quarterback situation there in Denver. And I think Houston's. I mean, who, who, what defensive player doesn't get psyched about sacking Peyton Manning? I know there's a huge mutual respect there, but that's that's going to be, uh, yeah, certainly a, a motivation for him. So uh, what do we think about Kerry Williams versus the Cardinals and all those receivers or Gerard Powers versus, uh, excuse me, are at Seattle? Uh, I think I would go with Kerry Williams. As good as Carson Palmer has been for Arizona, he does still force some passes sometimes, and he likely won't force them uh, Richard Sherman's way. So I think uh, Kerry Williams stands a better chance for an interception, plus the fact that the Cardinals throw the ball more than Seattle, so there's probably going to be more tackle opportunities for a corner of uh, Kerry Williams as well. So I'll go with Williams. Mm-hmm. I think it was Jay Leiston a few weeks ago, or maybe Alan Sadley's told me this summer on the podcast here, but Palmer has like some weird stat going where he hasn't like thrown an interception in so many straight games. And if you look, look, that stat is obviously uh, continued. But like you said, he's not forcing the ball at Richard Sherman. Uh, Powers for for Arizona has been a very productive cornerback this year. He's playing opposite Patrick Peterson, so definitely some you know some uh, supporting roles here. But I just don't think Seattle's going to throw enough of ball throw the ball enough for Powers to be production, and he's been digged up the last couple of weeks. Sounds like he is fine healthy. But uh, uh, Kerry Williams maybe gets that one interception gift from uh, Carson Palmer. So, yeah, look at look at Kerry Williams this week, folks. It's, it's a fun cornerback game to play. I, I, I like it. Even though, yeah, I like playing somebody different every week. It's kind of fun. Uh, we got some really good trades here today, Nick. I, I, just, I don't know if I've ever liked the trades – uh, this week, uh, as much as I have in a long time, but uh, let's get to some music. Time for Dynasty Trade Analysis. Okay, uh, Demarius Thomas. Uh, this comes from my good buddy uh, Bobby Koch on Twitter, otherwise known as Reeked Fantasy, uh, at Reeked Fantasy. Uh, Demarius Thomas for Sammy Watkins, Richard Perryman, and a 2017 first-round pick. 
Well, like you said, uh, all these trades are pretty good. We're pretty much splitting hairs trying to pick a side on all three of these trades. But I think I would go with the the side that picked up Watkins, Perryman, and the extra first-round pick simply because you're getting younger. I think talent-wise, Thomas and Watkins are pretty similar. You know, obviously Thomas is a little bit more productive at this stage in his career, but Sammy Watkins is a few years younger also. Plus, you're getting Perryman. Who knows what you'll get with him. Um but the Ravens took him in the first round for a reason. They expect him to be a, a contributor once he finally gets on the field, plus an extra first-round pick down the road. So, yeah, I, I like getting the, the bundle there. Yeah, me too. And I think one thing to remember with Perryman's all kinds of talks about Steve Smith coming back next year, and and I think that's only going to help Perryman come back come into the NFL and, and be be very productive. And hopefully he can, you know, have that torch passed to him as, as, as a wide receiver, one there in Baltimore when Steve Smith does retire, hopefully the right way. Uh, so I, I let that through. I, I do hear you too. DTE for Watkins is pretty even. Get another player and a pick on top of that. I mean, you can never have too many young wide receivers. I mean, I just, I've scooped up Kenny Bell and Justin Hardy in a couple of leagues recently just because people were dropping them in leagues where I'm on a rebuilding team, so why not have some young wide receivers? Uh, Nick, I have been racking my brains just trying to figure out which side I would take in this trade, and I really can't because I absolutely love every single player in this trade. But it's DeAndre Hopkins for Stefan Diggs, Amari Cooper, and a 2016 second. I mean, that is just a phenomenal trade. I, I think both sides are winning, but can you can you pick a side? Yeah, like you said, both sides are winning. I think, you know, the team that picked up DeAndre Hopkins probably only has one starting uh, receiver slot available, so having Diggs and Cooper didn't really help them much. So I think they upgraded slightly Hopkins over Cooper. But, you know, like I said, it's a pretty slight upgrade because Amari Cooper's been phenomenal so far in his rookie year. Plus, you're getting uh, Stefan Diggs, who looks like the future is really bright for him in Minnesota and a second-rounder. So, like you said, good for both sides. But, again, I would probably side with the uh, team that got the, the the number of players and a pick. Yeah, and, you know, who knows what Diggs and Cooper are going to be doing in a month or, or next year at this time. Obviously, DeAndre's got the bigger – the bigger track record, but uh, I mean, if I'm giving up Hopkins, I think that's a a pretty appropriate package. Um, that being said, I, it's really hard to give up him, and it's really be really hard to give up Stefan Diggs and Amari Cooper. I I'm wouldn't mind acquiring any one of these players at this point in time. So, uh, uh, but uh, nobody's trading them. That's for sure. Uh, except for obviously this person, but uh, Thomas Rawls in a 2016 first for Doug Martin and a 2016 third. This trade does come from DFW 36, where there's three copies of each player. What do you think, there, Nick? Uh, to me, this is completely even. It's a win-win. The team that traded away Doug Martin, I'm guessing, is not a contender this year, so might as well get what you can for Martin, which getting a first rounder and Thomas Rawls. Or Martin in the third, I think that's pretty fair, whereas uh, the team that traded away Rawls is probably looking for that one running back to put them over the top for this year. And Doug Martin, he's been pretty pretty solid this year, a lot better than I thought he would end up being. So, yeah, I think this is a win-win type of trade. Yeah, excellent trade here. I, I agree. I think it makes sense, uh, you know, for both sides there. I was going to challenge you to say not say rebuilding during that trade talk, but I I I, I forgot. So you did it anyway. <laughs> uh, Tyrod Taylor at 
the Jets or same game, which Jets quarterback will play versus the Bills. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be Fitzpatrick and he's going to have surgery on Friday and have nine days to recover or whatnot. But uh, what, what do you think about Tyrod versus either Fitz or Fitz or Geno? Well, I think if Fitzpatrick was 100%, I would probably go with him. But playing through an injury, you know, sometimes we see injured guys tr- turn the ball over just due to having less zip on their passes. So I think Tyrod Taylor is probably a bit safer. But, by the way, these two defenses gave up a combined 690 yards to Blake Bortles and Ryan Tannehill last week. So these two uh, are both actually better options than you would uh, think just kind of looking at it. Yeah, that, that's a good point because I'm looking at the second. Yeah, you know, Fitzpatrick is not maybe the best option here, but who wants to start Tyrod versus the Jets? Uh, did you hear the interesting thing in this game, that the fact that Rex Ryan is sending the uh, the player, I can't pronounce his name, but the player that broke Geno Smith's jaw, he's sending him out for to be the captain for the coin toss? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've never, never put it back to Rex Ryan to, to start some controversy. Uh, of course, Rex. Uh, I, I kind of like it. I kind of really like it at the same time. Uh, why don't we pick a running back in the New England uh, versus New England at the New York Giants game? And I, I noticed it on Sunday too when uh, Alex put it put it in his uh, recap yesterday. To I think four different yeah four different running backs for the Giants had at least six touches, and I think that was the case at halftime. So I mean, <laughs> uh, good luck figuring out which guy's going to get the touchdown there, and uh, obviously we know what the New England running back situation is. Can you pick one guy in this game? Maybe uh, not named Jared Lunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I would have to go with Shane Vereen. Uh, he's got 12 receptions and two scores over the last two weeks. I think he's just the safest of the bunch, especially in the PPR league. I'm just assuming we're going with my PPR scoring here. Uh, well, Garrett Blunt's uh, 29 carries for 129 yards last week, so he'll probably be inactive this week or get two carries. I mean, it wouldn't be Bill Belichick any other way, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, again, the aforementioned Hankins injury could be huge on that Giants interior, so maybe Blunt, Blunt is, is the star this week. And, you know, I have owned Vereen in one league, not a dynasty. I should preface that again, not a dynasty. But I've owned him for three straight years, and you think I could ever figure out when to play that guy at the right time? Ugh, I hate it. But, uh, yeah, um, he maybe this is the week, especially against his former team. I I feel like they know a few things about him too, though. So, so who knows? Uh, maybe it's Arlen's dark wall again. Uh, but uh, I love it when when that third running back for a team scores a touchdown and then somebody goes all waver nuts on him. Uh, what do you think about or Shark Hendrick West at Denver? Well, Duke Johnson's strength is catching the ball out of the backfield, but over the last three weeks against Pittsburgh, the best running back receiving line was two catches for 22 yards by Giovanni Bernard. And they played Kansas City, Cincinnati, and Oakland, all three teams with running backs who can contribute in the passing game. So I would avoid Duke this week. So I think Chuck Andrick wins just by default, even against a tough uh, Denver defense. Yeah, let's let's hope the Chiefs, the Chiefs watched uh, that indie game closely and can can uh, mimic that. I I do worry about Charkandrick West first game in Denver with him being the starter. I'm I'm going to lean Duke Johnson even though he's kind of the flavor of the month after scoring a touchdown last week. But I I feel like he's going to be enough. And I hear totally hear your stats, but I think he's 
a smaller a smaller back that they maybe won't be able to match up with. And um, McCowan being back might actually help him too, even though Manziel was the one that threw him that touchdown. Can you pick a wide receiver in the Saints at Washington game, Nick? Well, I'll just pick one. I'll go with Brandon Cooks, but that's too easy, so I think I'll rank them. I'd go with Cooks, then Willie Sneed, Marcus Colston, Brandon Coleman, uh, then New Orleans receivers coach John Morton, maybe see if Sean Payton has a daughter-in-law on the waiver wire. I'd probably start Payton's hypothetical daughter-in-law over any of Washington's receivers. You know, last week, if Kirk Cousins played for New England and Tom Brady played for Washington, the result would have still been the same. The receivers could not catch a thing. Yeah, I mean, it was like Cousins was throwing giant cane spiders, and the receivers would scream like hype pitched voice Peyton Manning as they swatted the passes away. They couldn't hang on to anything. It was okay. Um, Willie Sneed. That's who I want. The guy is tearing it up. And he's from the Mac. A little Mac action. I, I, I think he's having the year that everybody expected out of Brandon Cooks. And I think that's going to, uh, going to continue. Uh, Love me some Willie Sneed. So glad I was able to claim him in a couple leagues that I have met. So, um, pick an Arizona. Arizona's got three awesome receivers, Nick. But which one of them is gonna gonna be the big performer at Seattle? Well, I'm not a fan of any of these guys this week, but I, I would think a defense as good as Seattle should focus on the top two options, those being Larry Fitzgerald and John Brown. So I think I'll go with Michael Floyd as the sneaky play this week. And You know, he did have four catches for 106 yards with a 60-yard touchdown in their last outing. So it's not like he's never produced. I, I'd go with Floyd, I think. Something to think about, and I'm sure I mentioned it all the time on the podcast and people rolled their eyes or whatever, but uh, – how, how does Seattle match up in the, like, say, John Brown's in the slot? I mean, you look at his size and the fact that he's able to do things, you know, like Antonio Brown and, and turn and uh, be more agile. Do they match him up with a small safety like uh, Earl Thomas as opposed to uh, uh, Cam Chancellor? But then you're asking Cam Chancellor to be the single high guy back there, maybe take him out of position. What? Why not? You know, let's say there's a Hail Mary needed or maybe at the end of the half or a long passing situation. Why not throw Tyler Lockett out there to, to guard uh, John Brown? Just like we, you know, why not Why not have Antonio Gates cover Gronk, you know, if a situation comes to that late in the game? Just, just, it'd just be interesting to see if teams would do that more often. I remember Minnesota used to put uh, Randy Moss out there in the prevent package every now and then. I'd like to see a little bit more of that. You know, why not? Why not Brandon Coleman like to 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 run down Garcon on the third and long situation? That'd just be that'd be more interesting to see if teams said that. And that might have been the millionth time I've said interesting on this podcast, Nick. Um, ooh, it is ATS time. Uh, did I pick a receiver there? Oh, Michael Floyd. I wanted to pick Michael Floyd. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, I don't know where that came from, but uh, yes, I was going to say Michael Floyd because like. Uh, like the top two options there are Fitz and Brown, and Brown's been a little dinged up, and I feel like Floyd is now fully healthy, so maybe he can he can avoid getting the jam canceler hammer and uh, make a difference. Let's get to Mr. Chuck today. Good morning from Las Vegas. It's Chuck today. How's it going, buddy? Hey, Josh. Hey, Nick. How's it going? 
little chilly out here. It's uh, only like 60 degrees today. We've Aww. all got our thermals on, and uh, and we're weathering the storm. It should come back to the high 60s by the end of this week. I'm freezing. <laughs> oh, man. I am watching a lightning storm with it being 35 degrees here in Minnesota. That's a, it's always interesting. Maybe a little mixture wow. of snow later on, they said. Yeah. So you're in, uh, you're, in, you're, in, you're in Minnesota? South Dakota. Did I say Minnesota? Oh, I thought you said here in Minnesota. Oh. I, anyway, that sounds like Minnesota anyway. I was just sitting here. I, I'm going back and forth trying to figure out what to do with Eddie Lacey. I just heard that uh, heard that Starks would be the, the number one guy this week. Uh, they are playing the Lions. It's like... How many? I, this has to be the last week for Eddie Lacy because he he uh, he played two good defenses the past two weeks. If he doesn't get on track against the Lions, it could be it could be Dumpsville for Eddie. Uh, yeah, I still don't know if I dump. I, I worry about a guy like Starks. It's been a career backup, staying healthy for for a solid month. So uh, I uh, yeah. Don't play him, you know. Maybe play him this week, but you know, maybe maybe sit him if the situation warrants it. But I just don't know if I could dump any Lacey. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, I think the running back position is just so thin right now in the fantasy world that I'd have a hard time dumping. And like you said, I wouldn't. I'd hesitate to start him, but I wouldn't want to dump him just yet. Hey, you guys, listen to this. I my kicker got hurt last week, Nick Folk, and and had zero <laughs> points. And he was not the lowest scorer on my team, Eddie Lacy, oh. <laughs> at minus one. <laughs> uh, I, I played somebody who had that same situation. The interesting thing about that is you see, uh, so Nick Colt hurt his quad, and so, but that did not prevent him from bending down because he he held all the extra points while their punter kicked them, which. <laughs> Yeah, uh, just thought that was interesting. I don't know if a, a kicker has ever held before. That's, uh, I mean, I suppose they had no other options, and Quigley's probably their regular placeholder. So, uh, hey, he was four for four. So, I mean, anybody in search of a kicker NFL wise is probably taking note of that. So, it's and, and it's too bad you get you don't get points for holding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Nonetheless, but anyway, interesting. Uh, yeah, we have an interesting. We had an interesting week last week. I think we did rather well. Our uh, our sweeps were four and one. Um, we won with the uh, the Vikings, lost in the Dolphins, but then we won with the Patriots, Forty ers and the Bears. So good job, guys. Yeah, those Dolphins did not show up in that game. That's for sure. We did we did better than uh, than Chuck's choices, which uh, I was uh, I, still not bad. I was three and two. I picked the uh, I had the uh, the Vikings to beat the Rams, and I won that one. I had the Dolphins, and I lost that one. We just talked about that. Mm-hmm. I had the Falcons over the Forty ers and I had the Colts over the Broncos. And then, doggone it, you know, I had the Cowboys plus three last week. They go into overtime. That's that's one of the worst beats in the world is when you have a three-point yeah. underdog and go into overtime and, you, and the other team scores a touchdown. But nonetheless, it was a three-and-two <laughs> week for Chuck's choices, and it was good. Okay. Well, what do you got for us Thursday night as we have another heated division rival, Buffalo at the New uh, York Jets? All right. Let's start going over all, three, uh, all these. The uh, Jets were three. They're now down to two-and-a-half, so it looks like we uh, are having a little money coming on the bills right now. New York Jets are two and a half point favorites. 
Oh, I think we're going to see the Jets wake up this game after a couple bad weeks. I know they won last week, but it wasn't pretty. I think uh, you're going to see a little bit more of a, a lockdown from this defense who, who doesn't have a a quarterback that's able to stretch the field vertically in Tyrod Taylor. I know I, I don't want to take anything away from him. He's been, a, he's been a great player this year, but I just think that's going to be to their detriment. And it's only two and a half points. I'll take the Jets at home at this one and lay those points. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to go with you and take the Jets. You know, Buffalo, they can stretch the field, but they only have one guy that really can do it, and that's Sammy Watkins. And I think Daryl Revis kind of negates the Sammy Watkins effect. So this guy, I think that will force Buffalo to be more one-dimensional and just run it. So I think the Jets can win this by a field goal. I'm kind of wondering where the Jets' defense has gone. They've given up at least 20 points in their last four games after uh, after not giving up any more than 17 in their in their first four games. Um and you know, a lot of people were wondering, you know, when the, when they played the Raiders a week ago, um, or a couple weeks ago, uh, they gave up 34 points to the Raiders, and everybody was saying, "Well, geez, what's going on with the Jets' defense?" And uh, they actually gave up 30 to the Patriots, 34 to the Raiders, then 23 to the Jaguars. They're at home, though. Um, I'm expecting a much better, especially in a divisional game. So I'm still going to take the Jets, and that two-and-a-half really helps me also, you guys. Uh, the Jets on defense are 24th against wide receivers, so we might see some passing uh, for Buffalo this week. But the Jets are really, really good in all the other categories. The Bills are 15th or worse against quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. That doesn't sound like a Rob Ryan team, does it? Uh, both both teams have played New England. Both teams have lost to New England. Uh, I'm going to take the Jets. They're at home, and um, I think they can win by a field goal. Okay. That was a sweep, right? Oh, uh, it was, yes. I'll mark it down. Um, first one. First game, first sweep. Uh, Green Bay hosting Detroit. I think we're going to have some double digits here. What do you got? Yeah, it started out at 12. It's now uh, attracted a little bit of Lions money, <laughs> 11 and a half for the Packers uh, in this game. So the Packers buy a little more than a, a touchdown and a field goal, 11 and a half. I'm done defending Detroit this year. They have no excuses. I have no more excuses for defending them. I it's a you know I want to say oh it's a division game it's going to be closer but I said that last week about the Browns <laughs> here we are oh give me give me the give me Green Bay minus fifteen sixteen whatever it is just give me Green Bay <laughs> what do you got Nick uh, well Detroit's coming off a bye so does that mean anything you know maybe Green Bay only wins this by two touchdowns at eleven and a half I definitely have to go with Green Bay. Even though they, you know, they came off two tough games uh, against Carolina and Denver, but I think they get things back on track this week. There are uh, some things in favor of the Lions in this game: um, the fact that they're coming off of a bye, the fact that uh, the the line maker has to make this line high in this game, uh, just simply because the Packers have lost two in a row, and all of America is expecting the Packers to bounce back and really, really uh, look good here. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the last ten games, the Packers have won seven of those ten. Uh, but those seven games that the Packers won were by an average of 7.4 points, and the largest margin of all the Packers' wins in the last ten games was 13 points. 
So it's not going to be the blowout everybody thinks it is, and I'm going to take a chance on the Lions this week, although it's always really hard to pick the Lions. But but getting 11.5 points in a divisional game uh, in a series that has had a history of being close, uh, I'm going to go with the Lions. Mm, I, I knew you would go there, so that's why I didn't do it. <laughs> uh, Carolina <laughs> at Tennessee. Panthers are five and a half in this one. Ooh, five and a half, huh? Mm-hmm. I thought this was trending yeah. downward. Well, it actually went <sighs> up a little bit. It started at five. It's now five and a half. Yeah. Hmm. I, I feel like Carolina obviously has laid down a little bit in the second half of the last couple of games, but I don't think that's going to happen this week because uh, I – I think there's just too much, uh, too much young, uh, young pride, and they're getting some guys going. And I feel like they're going to try to maybe use more of those op- options, like Nick said, Devin Funch kind of coming around there. So maybe, maybe, maybe this is kind of a shootout game. But I think Carolina's got got a solid enough defense to get to take this thing by at least a touchdown. So I'll take the minus five and a half. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, I know Tennessee looked pretty good last week against New Orleans. Marcus Mariota had threw for four touchdowns, I believe, but Carolina's defense is a whole other caliber than the Saints have, so I think Carolina wins this one handily. All right, I'm going to take the the uh, Titans in this one, and this is why. Um, Carolina, yeah, they're 8-0, but they, look at the teams they just got. The last four games that they played, they played the Seahawks, the Eagles, the Colts, and the Packers. Now they're on, on the road against a team that they really, really overmatch. Um, it, it, it is just a classic spot for a letdown um, because they've got this easy team after having four really, really tough games. Probably win it by a field goal, but I'm going to take the Titans in this one, plus five and a half. Okay. Uh, you going to go first here, Chuck, as your Bears visit the St. Louis Rams and their concrete slab of a field. <laughs> okay. The uh, Rams actually started out at eight. They're now down to seven. Uh, Bears getting seven points here. <sighs> the Rams may win this game. I, I don't have a whole lot of, uh, of analysis on this one, just simply because I never know how to judge the Rams. I know they play well in division games, so I always get a tip from that. Uh, non-divisional games, they're not that good, but uh, they are coming off a loss. Now, Jeff Fisher's now 4-4, four and four, right? So he's going <laughs> to – I heard somebody say, well, the Rams are going to be 8-8, eight and eight, so which way do they go? You know, it seems like as soon as they win a game, they'll lose a game. Well, now they're 4-4, four and four, and I don't know which way to turn. But the Bears have been playing well. I'm just going to take the team that's that's been playing well, and they're kind of starting to get that mojo. And I'm going to take the Bears plus 7 here. Yeah, and I don't fully understand it, but I feel like Chicago is better on the road than they are at home. I don't know. I don't know why, uh, but uh, that, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'll, I'll take Chicago plus the seven here because I, I feel. Is it seven? That you said. Yeah, seven points. Okay. Yeah, I'll take Chicago plus the seven just because they, they've shown a lot of second half resilience, and Cutler's been a, a really nice player in the second half of games. Nick, what do you think? I'm going to go with Chicago, too, make it a sweep. I just think that's way too many points. Uh, if it was closer to, like, two and a half points or something like that, I might think about going with the Rams. But at seven points, i got to go with the Bears the whole, the whole way. You guys realize this is the second week in a row we've swept on the Bears? 
Oh, <laughs> uh, it worked last week. That's right. <laughs> okay, uh, Philadelphia hosting Miami. Eagles, six and a half, and that uh, is where it has stayed. Six and a half. Oof. That seems a little high, so I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Miami in this game just because it seems a little little high. I think Miami's got even though they're on the road, I think Miami's got got more weapons and more weapons than than that, and they should not be that big of a dog. So I'll take Miami plus the six and a half. Nick, what do you think? Uh, I agree with you. I know Miami's lost two straight to a couple division games in New England and Buffalo, but. Philadelphia, they, you know, they play tough against the NFC East, but the NFC East just isn't that great of a conference or a division. Uh, I have a hard time giving them six and a half points against an out of the division team, so I'll go with the Dolphins. Hey, Nick, I think you hit the nail on the head here. Uh, it's it's the AFC East versus the NFC East, and I think the AFC East, um, I mean, if the if the Patriots weren't so overpowering, then the Patriots and Jets and Dolphins would all be uh, would all be fighting it out there. Um, I just think it's a war of attrition in the NFC East. Now there is one thing working in this game, and one of the classic uh, handicapping notes to make is that uh, Miami is doing their third straight road game, and it's always the time to go against a team. It's always the time to to uh, to go against a team is when they're playing their third straight road game. I, however, am going to go with it the other way. I have, I still have faith in Miami. They've had a couple tough games. I think they're still as the good team they were when they came back after Philbin was fired. So uh, I'm going to kind of go against that trend, and I'm going to take the uh, the Dolphins also and make it a sweep for us. Okay, Cleveland at Pittsburgh. Wow, it's always a war in this Central Division matchup. Uh, Steelers are four-and-a-half-point favorites over uh, your Cleveland Browns. My Cleveland Browns? I thought they were Knicks. Um, Four-and-a-half. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I, don't, I don't know. Let's we'll see what I wrote down earlier. Oh, I picked Cleveland, so I guess, I guess we'll stick with that. I must have had a reason for clicking that box earlier. So <laughs> uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's Landry Jones. And Cleveland siphons a lot of defensive players in there, so maybe they just wear out the mentally and physically wear out the young Landry Jones. I'll take I'll take Cleveland, but I still think Pittsburgh is going to win. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, I can't believe it, but they are my Cleveland Browns this week. I'm going to go with the Browns to uh, to beat Pittsburgh. I just don't trust the Steelers without Ben Roethlisberger, and yeah, I obviously don't trust the Browns either. But I think this week they can get their third win of the year. This game started out at four and a half. It went up to five. It's uh, gone back down to four and a half. That went back down today, as uh, a matter of fact. Um, You know, Pittsburgh keeps plugging players in and winning. Uh, You know, whoever gets hurt, and I hate to use that cliche, I've heard it too often, next man up. That's that's about as cliche as running the the term running the table. Um, Cleveland is in a bunch of controversy right now, though. The, the fans want Johnny Manziel, and uh, and uh, their coach is uh, clearly, you know, and, and in the right, uh, starting Josh McCown. 
Uh, I just uh, Cleveland's starting to fall apart, and I'll look for Pittsburgh to give a good effort. Although I don't feel strongly about it, but I picked the Steelers earlier today, and I'm going to stay with it. I'll take uh, I'll take the uh, the black and gold. So Cleveland would rather lose to a division opponent by 21 points, or just lose to Denver in overtime. That's that's the situation they're in with McCown versus Manziel. So. Uh, yeah. And that looks good for about a quarter and a half, and then teams figure it out. Uh, wow. On to the Who Cares game of the week as we put uh, Dallas in Tampa Bay. Yeah, and the and the line reflects that, Josh. Buccaneers are favored by one and a half points. I want to... Uh, I want to put my uh, pointer on this and see how this uh, how this line has gone. Although I guess it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> started out at uh, Tampa Bay by one, went to a pick'em, then went to one, and then went to one and a half. So, no matter which way they go, they get action on this game. I don't know. You know, like I say, I don't know what one point difference makes, but to the handicappers, mm-hmm. it does. So, Buccaneers have to beat the Cowboys by more than one point. I'll flip a quarter. I hope it winds up on Tampa. I guess I'll, I'll take Tampa. I just uh, they're just healthier, younger, more, and they're at home. That should help out. So I'll take I'll take Tampa in this game. Nick, what do you think? Uh, well, I'm pretty sure Tony Romo is not going to be back for this game. So I just cannot, in good conscience, pick Dallas Cowboys when they can't win a game without their starting quarterback, Tony Romo, even against Tampa Bay, who's not the greatest team. You know, I think they've won three games this year, but I still think that's better than Dallas at this point. You know, I keep picking the Cowboys every week. (laughs) One of these weeks they're going to win for me. We have an interesting dynamic in this game. Tampa Bay is really bad versus wide receivers, but they're good against running backs. Dallas is good against uh, good against wide receivers, but bad against running backs. So it's like uh, you kind of expect Tampa but to uh, to throw the ball and Dallas to uh, Dallas to run the ball. Um, or Dallas, excuse me, Dallas to throw the ball and Tampa to run the ball. Whatever, it's it's just it's kind of a mess game. And you're right, I I don't care much about this. I just think Dallas sees a way to win their division, and Tampa's got Carolina running away with the division. Uh, again, I I'm looking for Dallas to win one last game before Tony Romo comes back, and they they want to go to a bye with a win. So that that's the only reason I'm going to take the Cowboys here. Okay. Uh, I think you mean one game, not one last game. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what are we, where are we at here? Uh, Baltimore hosting Jacksonville. Jags and Baltimore. Let's see. Uh, Ravens favored by five and a half points here. Okay. Five and a half. That's just too much. I think Jacksonville's got too much fight in them to uh, – to do that, they don't have anything for weapons offensively. So I just, yeah, I'll, I'll take Jacksonville. Baltimore, excuse me, doesn't have anything for weapons. So I'll take Jacksonville. Nick, what do you think? Uh, I agree with you. You know, two two win teams going head to head, but uh, Jacksonville's just got way more to work with offensively than Baltimore. What does Baltimore have left? Kamari Aiken. Uh, of course, Jacksonville's got the three young or two young, uh, pretty solid receivers. So I, I got to go with Jacksonville. I think they win this, not just cover, but we actually win it outright. 
Yeah, right here, Baltimore has two wins this year, and uh, both of them are by three points. So if they win there, you know, when they do win a game, it's not by they haven't won they haven't won all year by any more than five points. So uh, you know, why look for the trend to uh, to uh, not continue? Uh, the three-point spread, I think, is by by reputation only. I think Jacksonville has the better team here. And uh, let, let's say they were even, so the Ravens are getting a, a six-point home field advantage here. I don't think so. I'm going to take the Jaguars. Yeah, that's that's a weird line there. Um, so another clean sweep. Uh, ooh, I get to go first. Minnesota at Oakland. Let me find this one here. Oh, yeah, this is one that we didn't have a lot of lines on. I finally found one line at three, and then uh, about 15 minutes ago, some more lines started showing up, and uh, so we're going to go, and they were all three points. So Raiders favored by three over the Vikings. Oh, if this was just picking to win, I'm, I would take Oakland, but uh, I think this is going to be a close game, so I'm going to pick Pick Minnesota, and not just because I like to be happy either way, but I, I feel like this is less than a field goal game. I, I hope the Raiders win it like 19 to 17, but I uh, let's hope it doesn't go to overtime. Uh, so I'm gonna t- I'm gonna take Minnesota. Not not crazy about it, but uh, I was hoping that you guys just take the Raiders for me. What do you got, Nick? <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with Oakland. You know, they've been they've really impressed me lately this year. Uh, you know, they've got a uh, both teams actually have good young second-year quarterbacks, but I, I think Oakland and Carr, the Carr to Cooper connection is a little bit more exciting than the Bridgewater to uh, uh, <laughs> than the Bridgewater to Stephon Diggs uh, connection. So I, I think Oakland can win this by more than a field goal, especially playing at home. If it was in Minnesota, I'd probably go the other way though. Okay, Chuck, what do you think? This game is a little bit of a what they call a sandwich game. Um, the Vikings last week had a really, really tough game against the Rams at home, and that game was to uh, to tie the Packers for first place in the NFC North. Now they've done it. Uh, now they go to Oakland, and guess who they have next week? They have the Green Bay Packers. It's a little bit of a look-ahead game for the Vikings here. And, you know, if Oakland wasn't any good, I'd probably still take the Vikings. But the, the, the Raiders have... They're showing something. I I like the Raiders, and I'm going to take them here minus three points. Okay. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for picking me up there. Uh, Denver hosting Kansas City. Chuck, what do you got for us? Uh, let's see. Did you forget about Saints and Redskins, or are we just going on to the uh, afternoon game? Oh, <laughs> well, let's do that one. I just, I, did, I just I did didn't get want to want to get out of the sequence here. But uh, Chiefs and Broncos are favored by seven over the Chiefs at Mile High. Uh, if Denver had won last week, I would probably lean KC in this game. But I think they're going to be pissed. That defense is going to be. Uh, you know, obviously minus uh, the eye poker, but I think they're going to be pissed, and I feel like they're going to. It's not like Kansas City's got any wide receivers you really need to cover anyway. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take uh, Denver minus seven in this game. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, I'll go with Denver too. I, I don't love it, and you know, especially after Ronnie Hillman got me a tenth of a fantasy point last week, <laughs> a little little bitter there about that. But so uh, again, I don't love it, but I just it's hard for me to pick against Denver, especially at home even with the seven-point spread. 
I'm going to take the Chiefs for several reasons. The Broncos, first of all, not it's hard to t- you know Broncos are not the the high scoring team they used to be, so they're not really scoring enough for me to give up six points. The Chiefs are coming off of a bye, and a lot of people don't realize that the Chiefs are on a two game winning streak. They won they won their last two games before this bye. Uh, should be a close game. Sometimes teams. After they have a winning streak stopped, they'll kind of let down and lose two in a row, and this could very well happen to the Broncos. Uh, and, you know, by all intents and purposes, the Chiefs should have won that game in Kansas City. Remember when they had that fluke fumble at the end of the game and the Broncos cashed oh, in? Oh, yeah. Now, one caveat, the Chiefs are 2-8 and eight in the last 10 in this series, so they don't have a good history at Mile High Stadium. I'm going to take them anyway. I think they're the little bit, little bit hotter team in this case, and, uh, you know, maybe the Broncos win by a field goal. Maybe It's probably – I'm looking at a field goal either way, and uh, so I'm going to take the Chiefs plus the six. Okay, let's get to Knicks. Washington Redskins hosting the New Orleans Saints. Now, the Saints, believe it or not, are a one-point favorite on the road at Washington. Nick, what do you think, buddy? <laughs> oh, I got to go with the Saints all the way. <laughs> you know, in their loss last week, they put up 28 points. I don't know if Washington's done that all year. Uh, the Redskins are just a mess right now. I I, I can't think of it, especially with such a small spread. Got to go with New Orleans. Okay, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Washington. I feel like every time they're a dog at home, they they figure it out. So, uh, you know, the Saints they they just they don't know what they are week to week, and I, I feel like Washington is a little better up front than people don't than people give them credit for. So I'm going to take Washington this game. Feel kind of good about it too. Okay, let's look at this trend. Very very interesting trend. The uh, New Orleans Saints and Drew Brees on the road on natural turf. This year they lost at Arizona. They lost at Carolina. They lost at Philadelphia. Uh, the only road game they won this year was indoors on a uh, on a uh, astroturf field in Indianapolis. The uh, Saints just don't win. I mean, their offense just gets slowed down. So, I'm going to take the uh, the Redskins in this one. And as Kirk Cousins says, "You like that." <laughs> uh, I like that. Uh, so there you go, Nick. There's a little hope for you. Right. Uh, New England, big afternoon game. Uh, New England hosting or at, me, at the New York Giants. Patriots by seven and a half points. Oh, I feel like that's a lot, but I also know what Patriots have been doing to teams, and the Giants have just been very, very inconsistent. And, you know, they showed a lot of heart last week in a, in a, in a tough game and uh, kind of made it look worse than it was there at the end. So I, And I know it's in in New York, but I feel like they're maybe, maybe in for a letdown. And, uh, you know, Tom Brady said uh, they're not going to factor in the two Super Bowl losses this week that they've endured to the Giants because he said all oh, these are completely different teams. But, uh I don't think they're going to waste any opportunity to score points in this game. So I'll, t- I'll take New England minus the seven and a half. Nick, what do you I'm going to go with the, 
I'm going to go with the Giants. Uh, they're at home, and they, it just seems like over the years they've had New England's this number. You uh, mentioned the two Super Bowl wins that the Giants have over Tom Brady and the Patriots. So, uh, you know, especially with that many points, uh, I'm going to go with the Giants. This is the second game this weekend where I looked at it and I said, wow, these two teams don't play each other very much. Um, New England and the New York Giants, the, the the Patriots have lost three in a row out of the Giants, uh, but the, two of those were Super Bowls. So I kind of look at the regular season differently than I do Super Bowls. Before that, um, the Pats won four straight, but only they've only they only played four games between 1996 and 2007. So since '96, these teams have only met like seven times. But uh, the, uh, the point I was going to bring out that none of those games that the uh, Patriots won were by more than 11 points, and three of them were by three or less. Now. A lot of times you look at it and say history doesn't mean much. I just, I just think the Giants have a way of of rising these big games and and if not winning them, playing them pretty close. I'm going to go against, you know, my better judgment. Well, I don't know if it's my better judgment or not. The 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 <laughs> the, the, uh, the Patriots are winning winning games and winning them big this year. But I just think the Giants somehow. Will uh, figure out a way to make this one close. Uh, they they seem to have some some kind of mojo over the Patriots. Um, uh, let's take the Giants in this one plus seven and a half. All right, Seattle hosting division rival Arizona Cardinals. What do you got for us, Chuck? Seahawks are at home and they're favored by three. Oh. So they're saying, man, this is uh, – I feel like maybe that's, you know, what is it, neutral field, this is an even game if it's a if a home team gets a gets a field goal. So, but it seems like uh, Seattle's been good for four or five points at home. Uh, so I feel like that's a little respect there for the Arizona Cardinals, even though they're the dog. But I think Bruce Arians just has to say we're favored to lose this game, and that's going to be enough. So I'm, I'm going to take Arizona because you're giving me three points. And I thank you for those three points. Let's let's do this, Cardinals. Nick, what do you got? Yeah, I don't think it's very often you see a team that's got two more wins than their opponent that's an uh, underdog, especially by three points. So I'll I'll I'm with you. I'll go with the Cardinals. Yeah, the Seattle mystique to me has uh, disappeared a little bit this year. Seattle, uh, but Arizona, believe it or not, has last, lost three of the last four games between these two. But, but the uh, Cardinals' one win in that in that stretch was in 2013 when everybody thought Seattle was unbeatable up in uh, up in Seattle. Uh, but the the fact remains, Seattle this year is losing to good teams and beating the bad teams. And I choose to. Uh, to look at Arizona as a good team, uh, the Seahawks are kind of still living on the reputation. So, I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take the uh, Cardinals. Although it looks, I don't know, does that look too easy? The Cardinals, you guys. You you do hate Seattle. <laughs> yeah, but I. <laughs> I don't know. I had a hard time picking the Cardinals in this one, even though I, I just I don't hate Seattle. I just think they're still a little bit overrated. So let's go with the team that's uh, that's playing the team that's overrated. There you go. There you go. And that's another clean sweep. Uh, last one, Monday night. Cincinnati hosting the Houston Texans. Got another double-digit one for us here? 
Yeah, we are. Ten and a half. It start it was eleven. It's now down to ten and a half. Oh. Well, I picked Cleveland when they were eleven point dogs at Cincy and I apparently didn't learn my lesson because I'm gonna take Houston in this game. I, I I really don't know why. I just I can Andy Dalton do it again in prime time two weeks in a row? Is is that what you were gonna say, Nick? I'll, I'll take you I'll take Houston. Plus the ten and a half. What do you think, Nick? Well, I looked at the other double-digit spread. Green Bay is 11.5-point favorites over Detroit. I picked Green Bay. I think Cincinnati at only 10.5 is going to beat Houston worse than Green Bay is going to beat Detroit. So I, I have to go with the Bengals in this one. I just Houston right now, <laughs> Bill O'Brien, he's definitely in trouble there in Houston. Something you got to think about in this game, and that's the fact that the Bengals have a three-game lead in their division, and its I don't see them very being very interested in this game. Uh, there's also the fact that Andy Alton's, you know, record in uh, in nationally televised Monday night games, and I realize that they kind of got that uh, that monkey off their back when they beat Cleveland last Thursday, but I can't see the Bengals being interested enough in this game to cover a ten and a half point spread. That's ten and a half is is too much for me to give with a team that's not really interested in it. So uh, for that reason, I'm going to take the Texans in this game. Okay. Well, that is all we have for you today on the Dynasty Pulse. We've recapped. We got uh, clean sweeps: Jets minus two and a half, Bears plus seven, Dolphins plus six and a half, Jags plus six, and uh, Cardinals plus three. Liking the liking the plus underdogs this week, guys. So uh, hopefully that works out for you and uh, your betting knowledge there. Um, Chuck, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot. It's good to talk to you guys each week, and we'll see you in week 11. Okay. Thanks, Chuck, and have a good day, bud. Nick, any closing thoughts there? Oh, just funny to see all of us uh, picking the Jaguars. Uh, it's, not, it's probably not a team that gets uh, picked for a clean sweep very often. Uh, yeah, I, I really don't have any regrets about that one. I, I feel like there's certainly a better team at this point that, than that. So, uh, and Baltimore is not with their no wide receivers. So, uh, that's all we have for you, the dynasty pulse. Big thanks to Mike Kraffick for getting us ready with those offensive prospects. Um, uh, I think Mike's got an article coming out about that too some, soon. So look forward to that. Like I said, Bruce is going to be stopping by next week to get us uh, IDP ready. Uh, thanks, Nick, as always, and uh, have a good weekend, bud. Yeah, you too. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Bowl Podcast with J.D. Gilgis, Wagner, and Josh Johnson. 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 Joh